Welcome to Community Vineyard Church Podcast, a community of believers who passionately worships the Lord Jesus Christ, declares His truth, and shares His life with a world in need. Now, for this week's message. As some of you guys know, uh, I, I like history. I'm a fan of history. And we're going through the book of Romans, so I thought I would share a little bit about Roman history. So in ancient Rome, they, like us, had two political parties, the Optimates and the Populares. Now, um, I've heard them called different things at different times. Um, and uh, one of the, basically what it, what it looks like, even in their beliefs, even in the way that these belief systems and politics were sort of applied, it was very, very similar to what we have now in terms of, of liberalism and conservatives. Con- conservatism. In fact, one of the terms uh, for, for the Optimates was the sort of the conservative party and the Republicans, actually. And if you ever read historical documents from that time of the Republican, even after the Republic, in the time of the empire, you'll notice that those who were in, actually in charge, a very, very small percentage of the population, even just the, the Roman Empire's family, they actually specifically organized instituted and encouraged these two political parties to go at it constantly. And they, they, they actually wanted them to fight amongst each other. And they would, they would even hold like these, these staged public um, debates in which they would, they would sort of argue amongst each, o- each other and they would drum up the crowds because they knew that if they could get the crowds to fight amongst each other, that that would maintain their power and maintain their authority and their money, right? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I even heard recently that China has been using AI-generated images to create misinformation and videos of our leaders that are then used to create division and conflict amongst us. And they've been doing it for years. I mean, I personally can't tell you how many videos I have seen in the last three years of one of our leaders babbling incoherently. Sorry? It's not fake? Those are real? That's... Oh. But the point is, this is a form of political theater. And it's designed to cause division amongst us. And while the Democrats and Republicans pretend to fight amongst each other, those in power stay in power. And nothing in our country actually changes. If a house divided cannot stand, then a house unified will prevail. But how in the world did we get into this place where we are so easily manipulated to fight amongst each other? 
especially knowing the history of Rome, which, by the way, not knowing the history of Rome is one of the reasons that we got into this. But thankfully, we have the Bible to guide us. And Paul gives us, in chapter 14 of Judges, insight into one of the main weapons that the enemy uses and one of the main weapons that politicians use to cause division amongst us. And that is the weapon of judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we are not immune. We are not immune against the weapons of the enemy. Reveal to us the role that we play in judging others. And help us to overcome it in a manner that would be glorifying to you. Help us to maintain the unity that we have with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting verse verses 1 through 3. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. I love that Paul's commenting on vegans and vegetarians in this, saying that they have weak faith. Sorry. It's just a joke. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Let's begin with defining the terms, because I think it's important to define some of these terms very early on in order for us to understand uh, Romans 14. Those whose, whose faith is weak. Who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about people who are probably new to the faith. People who may even be immature in their faith. And do not, specifically, and do not understand the freedom that they have in Christ. And vegetarianism, in this case, is just one of those examples of a, I would call it a minor dis- dispute, that rigid and inflexible people became fixated upon, And they used it as a weapon of the enemy to cause judgment and division for other people. As a side note, and this is you're going to see this sort of interwoven into these into this chapter, being rigid and inflexible is another sign of those whose faith is weak. The other there's two more terms I want to define. The other one is disputable matters. The term disputable matters. What he's talking about here is let me just first say that. Just using that term indicates that there are, in fact, disputable matters in the Christian walk. There are some people who want to tell you that everything is black and white. And in fact, I hear so frequently from from people who are non-Christians this idea or this concept that uh, the Bible is just a book of rules. And and I don't see that at all. I mean, I see the Bible as as a a book of freedom, actually. Um, but, But there does exist a gray area within Christianity, And as we're going to find, this gray area is actually one of the differences between legalism and freedom. Paul gives multiple examples in Romans, but also in 1 Corinthians and Galatians, such as food sacrifice to idols, Old Testament laws restricting certain foods, and observances of the Sabbath and other Old Testament laws. And and this is not an exhaustive list, of course. 
you know, these are not, you know, Paul's not just listing all of these things. This is the gray area. Everything else is black and white. That's not what he's saying. These are just examples of the fact that a gray area exists. And I think that Paul is going to be walking that line all throughout Romans 14 of, of what is this gray area. Lastly, what is, he, what is he referring to when he talks about judgment all throughout this chapter? Well, I will say that context is going to lead the way, okay? There's many different kinds of judgment, and you're going to hear non-Christians or maybe immature Christians use this term all the time, judge not lest ye be judged, right? That means that we're sh- we should never judge others any ever, no, no matter what. And that's not true at all. That's not biblical. In fact, um, when we walk into a room, we instinctively and unconsciously automatically judge, okay? We're scanning the room primarily for, for you know, I would notice, okay, let me just say, if I walked into a room, I, w- I would notice that there was a seven-foot-tall, just ripped person in that room. Why would I notice that? Because instinctively, that person could rip my arms off, <laughs> I would notice that. That would be, oh, okay, I, you know, and, and we all do that instinctively. Now, there's many different ways and reasons that we do that unconsciously. I'm not going to get into sort of the biology behind that, but that kind of judgment is not what Paul's talking about. We do that instinctively, and I think that, that that's our, something the Creator created in us. He's also not talking about judgment when it comes from a position of leadership, if, if, I, if I'm hiring or guiding or, or, or trying to, uh, you know, put somebody in a role or a position, of course the leaders are supposed to judge that person. We're not just going to let somebody come into our church and we're just going to put them in a position of leadership. No, we, we want to know who they are. We want to see the fruit of their life. You know, that kind of thing. And, and of course, anybody who's hired anybody and, and made a really bad decision knows that they probably should judge people a little bit better when they're trying to hire somebody. So Paul's not talking about that. What he's talking about in these, in these passages is the kind of judgment that has its origins in pride, arrogance, and contempt for others, and a lack of humility, primarily. And for those who missed it, I just want to remind you that this kind of judgment, I talked about this and Paul talks about this throughout Romans earlier, it's not just a moral sin, but it actually has a ripple effect all throughout a church or a biblical community. And remember when Paul's talking about this, he's never met most of the people in this church. Okay, so it's not like he knows what's going on in this church and he's saying, well, this is unique to you, so we're just going to talk about this. No, he, he knows churches. He knows people. And so he's talking about something that is common in churches. So what are the ramifications of a church that allows or even encourages judgment? Well, rude, arrogant, and frankly, annoying people. I find these people to be annoying. And I'm sure you do too. And certainly our visitors would find them to be annoying as well. Especially people who are in need of a church. There's people out there who are hurting, lost, broken. They're searching for an answer. And they're searching for the Lord, maybe whether they know it or not. And they will turn and leave if we have people who are judging them from the very second they walk into the door. The world actually manipulates people into believing that's what they can expect when they come into a church. And if that is what they get, then they will leave, never even having a chance to encounter the Lord. And by the way, we represent, in some ways, we represent the Lord. So if we are judging people the second they walk in the door, they're going to leave here. They're not going to remember your face in 10 years. They're going to say Christians. They're going to say God. They're going to they're put that on their belief of God. 
And the reality is, where else are they supposed to go? Don't we want them to come here? Isn't that the point? Right? We want them to get saved, baptized, and connected with us through relationship with the Lord and the love of a community so that they can be raised into their true identity in Christ. That's the, one of the main reasons this building, this church exists. But judgment is one of the main things that will keep a person away from having that encounter with the Lord. The second thing that judgment does within the context of a biblical community is that, and I've talked about this extensively, it drives sin underground. Because if, if I'm judging you for something that maybe you got discovered or found out, maybe whatever it is, you know, you get discovered. My gosh, he's only tithing 7%. And we have, remember, we have a special section up here for sinners, right? And, and for those of you guys who are sinners, we're going to have you sit up there next week. And, and that'll be a special section. You can wear a hat, you know, detailing what sin you have, you know, the long list, whatever it is. But what does that do? There are literally churches that do that. I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses, I, I'm not kidding, have a separate section in the back for people who get who get caught in sin. And they bring them up in front of the church. They have to confess their sin to the church. And depending on what it is, they have to sit somewhere else for sometimes years. And what do you think that does in that congregation? It drives sin underground. Nobody deals with anything. Everybody just hides everything because they're so afraid and terrified of getting found out. But the reality is, is that when we, when we lovingly raise people up into their identity in Christ, and when we have a culture of, of helping to reconcile people, that actually makes it so that people deal with their stuff. We all have stuff that we're dealing with. And once you deal with this thing, the Lord's going to bring something else to your plate that you have to deal with. That's the reality. <clears throat> So, and then Paul says, you know, moving on to verse 4, what, is, what does Paul say? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. In this analogy for the situation, Paul defers to the relationship of the individual with God as being more important than the opinions of the observers. In these situations, we are called to intervene through prayer and then place the results in God's capable hands. Maybe even submit ourselves to the Lord so that we would be used by him to bring that person closer to, to a relationship with him. But what makes us think that we should interfere with what God is doing in the life of another person? This should be, this is applicable, this, just this phrase, this is applicable to so many different situations. Who are you? to be pointing the finger at somebody else. What in the world makes somebody think that they have the right to judge and confront somebody with contempt and self-righteousness in their heart? This is the log that Jesus was talking about, by the way, when he says, first remove the log or the plank in your eye before you point out the speck in somebody else's. Time and time again, all throughout Scripture, and especially in these passages, it's all about the heart motive of the individual and their relationship with Christ. Now, there are, of course, ways in which we as a leadership team and as a church, that, that we should, first of all, manage sin in our, in our own lives and also in the congregation if there's some sort of, like, open sin in leadership. That's, that's, not what I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about, and I don't think that that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. 
What Paul is talking about is confronting people who you have no relationship with. Judgment and confrontation without relationship will always be more destructive. If you don't love them, don't confront them. And I'm not just talking about like, I'm a Christian, he's a Christian, I love him. No, like if you are not deeply in relationship with a person, it is not your role to convict them of sin. It is God's role to convict them of sin. And by the way, it's the same way with God. He doesn't convict without relationship. The point is relationship. If you don't have a relationship with God, this entire conversation is meaningless. The whole point of this is that it is more important for us to be in a relationship with God than it is for us to be, you know, making sure that we do everything perfect and right. And it's more important for us to be in relationship with each other than it is for us to walk around calling people out on their sin. And it sounds ridiculous, but it actually happens, just usually not to the person's face. Paul continues. One person continues one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. This is just another example of a gray area. You know, if we're, if we're talking about the Sabbath, or if we're talking about eating meat, or if we're talking about... You know, having a restrictive diet or whatever it is, some, some of us have the freedom to do certain things that are in that gray area, and others don't. But we are blessed, as Paul's going to say, we are blessed when we have a clear conscience before the Lord. Let me ask you a few questions. Could it be that the Lord is dealing with each of us differently? Yes. I was watching The Chosen yesterday. Uh... Uh, season two, first episode. And, and one, of the, one of his disciples says, well, why didn't you cor- correct this you know, person? You know, he was doing something or whatever. And Jesus says, well, I, I don't always you know, correct new converts in the same manner that I do others. And I know that it's not scripture or anything, but he, it just kind of stood out to me. Could it be that sin isn't as clearly defined for everybody? Now, of course, there are some sins that are clearly defined in the Bible. But could it be that maybe something the Lord is calling you not to do, he is giving somebody the freedom to do? Could it even be the Lord allows us to deal with sin differently? Must you deal with sin the same way that I deal with sin? I'll share with you a story. Some of you guys have heard this story. One of my favorite shows when I became a Christian, and I'd watched, we used to have parties every, not like big parties, but like watch parties, you know, every Wednesday, and we would watch, we would watch South Park. It was like my favorite show. I watched every episode for a decade, 10 years, until I noticed something. I noticed the only thing consistent in every episode They use the Lord's name in vain, intentionally, in every episode. 
I, I even didn't believe it at first. Like, the Lord brought that to my attention. I was like, no, that can't be true. And I went back, starting with the very first episode, and watched every single episode for, like, 12 seasons. Sure enough, every episode. Now, does that mean that I'm telling you that nobody should ever watch South Park? No. Tom, you have the freedom to watch South Park if you want. Thank you. <laughs> if the Lord is telling him that he's allowed to watch it, I don't believe that I have that freedom because I believe it, it, like it offends me. Same with most rap music. Now, I know not all rap music, but rap music offends me because they're talking about things that are non-biblical, that are anti-Christian in general. Other people may have the freedom to listen to it. However, I still listen. I still listen to Pink Floyd. Yeah. And, and the Beatles. I know. Yeah. Do you guys know I'm named after John Lennon? I am. Yeah. No, I really am. My mom was one of those screaming people. <laughs> you know, I, I love, I know they didn't write this song, but I love the song, Till There Was You. I use it as a worship song. Is it, is it possible to use a secular song as a worship song? Or, or are we so rigid that they sing about things that are not Christian, that, you know, just no more Beatles ever? And I still like the, I still watch The Office. You know, I like that show. It could be that six months from now, the Lord calls me not to watch that show or listen to certain kinds of music. But that's between me and the Lord. It, it's about my relationship with God. When we exist in these gray areas, it's about relationship more than anything. And one of the things that it, that it means to be in a relationship with, with somebody is that, is that you're interacting with them. You're listening to them. It's, it, it's he's active in my life. So if something begins to interfere with my relationship with God, he may call me to lay that thing down. And I have to be responsive to that. I have to do that. And at the end of the day, I have to have a clear conscience when I go to sleep. It's the same way in our relationship with others. It's one thing to be in a relationship with somebody and, and for them to seek your opinion about something, okay? It's a totally different thing to judge them from a distance without even understanding their situation and then trying to shame them into conviction for something the Lord has not even been dealing with them about. I'll give you another example. I, I had a, a friend who I thought didn't go to church enough. You know, in my mind, and I had lunch with him, and uh, it was a totally different topic. I wasn't, like, going to confront him or anything. It wasn't about that at all. I had a friend who, you know, it would be nice to see him a little bit more often. And, and we, you know, we were talking about something totally different, and, and I told him what I wanted to have lunch for, and he's like, oh, man, good, because I really thought that you were telling me that I needed to go to church more often. And I said, why would you think that? And he's like, well, it's just something that you know, I was praying about. I felt like the Lord was telling me that. And I said, you should probably do that. I mean, if the Lord's telling you that you should come to church more often, you should probably come to church more often. But I don't even, well, oftentimes I don't even need to, like, confront the 
person. I just need to be in relationship with somebody. And it just, you know, I'm in relationship with that person. They're in relationship with the Lord, and it works itself out. That's the point. If, if you regularly spend time with somebody, these kinds of things are going to come up. But if you don't have love in your heart for somebody, you have no right to step into their life and try to tell them what to do. This is what it means to be convinced in your own mind, that no matter what you do, whether you have a glass of wine with dinner, or maybe you play a video game, that, that, or maybe you abstain from those things. You, you do it all unto the Lord. You do it all because, of, you, you know, you're in relationship with God and He wants to bless you. He wants to give you good things. Right? And He wants you to enjoy things. Yeah. <laughs> we have freedom, Sharon. <laughs> we have freedom. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whatever, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. This is just commenting on the Lordship of Christ. I know I mentioned it before, but it, it, if Christ isn't Lord of your life, then none of this matters. This is just a, a moot point. It's a, an irrelevant conversation. And your judgment or your sort of conviction or trying to you know, impose your values on somebody who's not a Christian is just not going to do any good. In fact, it's going to actually do more harm than good. Christ is either the Lord of all of you or none of you. He will not take a backseat to anything, which is actually a good indication of whether or not it's something the Lord wants you to, to lay down. If, if you're putting something before the Lord, it's probably a good indication that, that maybe if you spend a little bit of time with him, maybe he may ask you to, to lay it down for a season. I mean, there was a time where the Lord seriously called me to lay down video games completely for a season years even. I don't think I played anything, but now I enjoy playing a game every now and then, but I have the freedom to do that because the Lord's released me and I'm in relationship with him and he's told me that. Paul goes on, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat as it is written, as surely I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, <clears throat> let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy somebody for whom Christ died. Therefore, let, let what you know is good be spoken. Let, sorry, therefore do not let know. Ugh. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Do you not realize the judgment and imposed shame hurts somebody more than it helps them. 
Now, this scripture is more probably clearly applied to something like alcohol, right? Like, if I knew somebody wasn't was an alcoholic, I wouldn't I wouldn't invite them to my house and drink in front of them. Like that that would be obvious, right? But I think that there there's many other ways in which it applies to uh, the Christian culture that we live in, or the non-Christian, aggressively anti-Christian culture that we are li- now living in. I want to share with you a couple of stories. I I shared with with you guys one of these stories already a few months ago at the back to school bash. I had a sign that that said, you know, uh, you know, come and talk to the pastor about different issues. I was kind of encouraging people to come to talk to me about anything, really, but even controversial issues. And I put on the poster, you know, a bunch of different potential issues, and one of them was the LGBTQ stuff. And I had two encounters that day. One of them I already shared. I'm going to share with you another one that I had. The first one that I had was a woman who came up to me, and she said, what would you do if a gay person came into your church on a Sunday morning? And I thought to myself, first of all, how would I know that they were gay? Like, I don't greet visitors by asking about their sexuality. Like, it doesn't even occur to me. Maybe I should. I don't know. I, but my answer was, I would say, welcome. That was my answer. And she said to me, wrong answer, and walked away. And I'm like... Whoa. <laughs> now, now th- you guys know that this is not an affirming church of that kind of a lifestyle, right? So, like, I'd, I probably shared a lot of views with this person, but she's just like, no, you know, walked away. She didn't like the answer that I gave her. And then I had another young lady approach me. Now, this was a different, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, except that she said, you know, I struggle with this. You know, I, I struggle with being, being same-sex attracted. I str- I'm a, I've been in relationships with women before, and, and, and I struggle with that. And, and I just, you know, I said, well, you know, Jesus loves you. And I was just sharing with her, like, the love of God. I wasn't, she didn't exactly invite me into her situation. So I had no, no basis of relationship with her by which I could tell her, you know, here's the list of your sins. Get these clear, and Jesus will love you. You know, it's just ridiculous. I just loved her, and she looked at me after like 10 or 15 minutes, and she started crying. And she said, she said, my dad's a pastor, and I told him, and they disowned me, kicked me out of the house. You're the first person who's, who's a Christian who has who, who's just shown me love. And, and I di- actually directed her to some of our sermons that I believe were loving messages, but they stood on truth. And I told her before she listened to them that we actually are not an affirming church, you know, that we don't, we want to raise people into, we want to affirm people in their real identity in Christ, that we don't affirm people, you know, who, who are choosing to live that lifestyle. And she said, I, I, I know, and, and, and I know that it's wrong, but... I just needed somebody to show me love and kindness. Now, which one of those two scenarios or responses to that that situation is more likely to lead somebody to a loving relationship with Christ? 
Obviously. Obviously. And this is what Paul's talking about in Romans. There are some things that maybe we know are wrong, and maybe we would choose to do things differently, but it is not loving to just try to bash somebody up over the head with certain things. Not only does a gray area exist, but even when it comes to things that I think are universally understood as sin, it is, unless we are invited into that situation, it is not our job to try to convict that person of sin. It is God's job. We are able to love, and and yeah, by the way, we are able to love others into the presence of the Lord and into the kingdom without compromising our values and beliefs. We don't need to lie to somebody. We don't, we, we can't just love somebody, and if in the course of building relationship it comes up, we don't need to lie to them about what we believe. We can tell people what we believe, and, and frankly, I don't think that it's, you know, that particular issue is, is a defining issue. I think it's more important that you have a relationship with Christ. It's just like any other issue that you might have, or my own issues. It's more important that I have a relationship with Christ. That's what Paul's getting at time and time again throughout Romans. Moving on. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human human approval. This is what it's about. Peace and joy. Enjoying your Christian walk. If you enjoy South Park like Tom does, you know... (laughs) He has the freedom to do that. I know he still watches it. I'm much more holy, and I don't. (laughs) Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes anyone, someone else to stumble. It is, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Why some people feel it's their job to force themselves into the lives of others will always confuse me. This is the mantle of a Pharisee and a legalist. You know, I was, I was listening to Moody Radio, which I know is, is not perfect, so it's on the blacklist for some people. I have the freedom to listen to it. <laughs> I was listening to Chuck Swindoll. I love it when the Lord brings me to a series or a pastor who's talking about either something that is very relevant to me or something that I'm actually preaching on. And Chuck Swindoll, this, now that, I paraphrase this because... I'm listening to the radio, so I just kind of locked it in my mind, and and I actually pulled over and uh, just wrote it down. But this is paraphrased from, from what he was saying. There will always be legalists and Pharisees who want you to live as miserable as they are. They have never known the freedom, and they have never fully understood or embraced the gospel, and they want everybody else to live exactly as they do. But it is not it is not but it is all unconscious or subconscious. The majority of them are not even aware of this. They actually believe they are being used by God. They will verbalize that they want you to walk in freedom and even report that they are walking in freedom, but they are bound up 
and their yoke will only lead to legalism and an increase of hidden sin. This is the slow path to legalism. Judgment is the slow path to legalism. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. What Paul is implying here is actually a blessing, a twofold blessing for 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 some people and a twofold sort of condemnation for for other people you are blessed if you do not confront somebody you're not in relationship with if you have not been invited into that situation you are actually blessed if you don't judge that person you're also blessed if the lord convicts you of something and you have the courage to lay it down but there is some condemnation to a certain extent if, if you are actually pointing the finger at everybody else and not even recognizing the sin that you have in your life. In AA, they say when you point your finger at people, you got three more pointing back at you. And you're also not blessed if you continue to do what the Lord is calling you to lay down. By the way, not judging somebody is yet another manner. I, I love this. It's so easy to tie into evangelism into every sermon. <laughs> not judging somebody and just loving somebody is, is, is a way of actually evangelizing to them. Like, like that young lady who came to me and, and, and was struggling with, you know, with her sexuality and things like that. I didn't judge her. I wasn't beating her up over the, look, you should read this scripture. It tells you that homosexuality is wrong. I, I didn't do that. It's actually an evangelistic tool. And I haven't seen her. I invited her to church, of course. I haven't seen her, but you know what? Maybe five years from now she receives Christ and begins to walk a life of purity. I don't know. But it's an evangelism tool. It's just not judging people, just loving people in a a Christian way. Now I'm going to give you some examples of gray areas, okay? Just throwing it out there. Here are some examples of gray areas that are not clearly defined in Scripture as sin. TV shows, movies, music, podcasts, the news. Some people should not watch the news. Other people have the freedom to do so. Most people should not watch the news. Friendships, interactions with others. For some, uh, truly, if if certain people are a slippery slope for you, you probably shouldn't hang out with them. And that's between you and the Lord. Where somebody works, their career. I, I may have the freedom to work in a bar, but other people may not. How often somebody comes to church, their level of interaction in the church or in ministry. This may get under somebody's skin. How much somebody tithes. Gosh, there's freedom there. Their generosity. How they express or receive love. It can be different. It doesn't need to be the way that you do it. Personality differences. The list goes on and on. Now I'm going to invite the worship team. And I want you to all think about 
that one area of your life, okay, that you just want everyone to do it your way. We all have it, right? Maybe it's somebody with pink hair, and you're just like, why do you have pink hair? You shouldn't have pink hair. Maybe it's the man bun. And it's the man. You just have a pair of scissors in your car. You're just waiting for an opportunity. Maybe it's those who don't publicly log their mandatory three hours of prayer on social media. Three hours a day, social media. I want to see it. Mandatory. Maybe it's those who don't dress as modestly as you at church. Maybe it's those who who smoke and drink more than you think they should. I will tell you a secret. I know Christians, air quotes, who smoke cigars. I know. (laughs) Blasphemous. Or how about this? Maybe it's those people who have more money than you, and they hire people to mow their lawn instead of giving their money to a well in Africa. Yeah. I know people like that. Maybe it's those who struggle with a sin that's different than yours. A speck rather than a log. Maybe it's those who don't raise their kids the way that you do, or at least the way that you want others to think you do. Maybe it's those who don't come to church every week. I mean, that gets under your skin. What were you doing on Sunday? Or maybe it's pastors who advocate for speeding from the pulpit. If you're not laughing, this is why you need to be in church every week, because you miss, you miss things, important things. How about all of us just receive a blessing by letting it go? Just let it go. If they invite you into their, into their lives and they love you and you love them, have a conversation. It's great. How about we allow people to be free in Christ? How about we remember what freedom looked like when we first got saved? Right? Before you got all the sin out of your life. <laughs> How about we stand and worship the Lord? that paid the highest price for that freedom. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Community Vineyard Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's message, click the share button and be sure to subscribe to our channel so that you'll be notified of our latest content. To learn more about Community Vineyard Church or how you can partner with us, please visit our website at www.communityvineyard.org. Until next time.